We are in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 8, and I think the sermon title says, The Foundation of the Christian Life. Now, if you have followed the news this past week, uh, there, there is one word that you may have heard on the lips of journalists and politicians. And the word I'm thinking of is confidence. Confidence, isn't it? Does the Conservative Party and its MPs have confidence in our Prime Minister Boris Johnson to win them the elections in 2024? And we might say, more importantly, does Boris Johnson have confidence in himself uh, to deal with the vouchers that are circling for his job? And of course, the talk uh, has been about whether Mr. Graham Brady, the chairman of the 19. 22 committee is going to receive enough letters soon to hold what? A vote of no confidence. We can't function in life without confidence. And that includes in our spiritual life in Christ. Uh, We cannot live for Christ unless we are sure that in our hearts that indeed we are in Christ and are being kept by Christ. Edwin Rogers says, trying to live as a follower of Jesus without full and absolute confidence in God is like driving a car with brakes on. It just doesn't work. It may move, but it's not going to move very well. We need confidence in our Christian life. The reality, of course, is that all followers of Jesus are prone to doubts. Uh, about our life in Christ uh, because of the many different situations and pressures we face in our lives. Every day the world asks us a simple question, doesn't it? Every single day. Is your faith in Christ enough? It's not just the world. Our flesh is asking that question. The devil is asking that question, isn't it? Is your faith in Christ enough? Are you sure the good news of Christ is the truth you really need. Now, of course, we're not the first to face uh, pressure uh, to doubt our life in Christ. Uh, we are currently going through this letter of Paul written to these new followers of Jesus at Colossae. And the Colossians uh, faced all the pressures we face in life, but on top of that, they faced a, a very unique pressure, which is some rogue teachers had come among them and they were preaching a false gospel. They were saying, Christ is not enough. You, see. you need to add to Christ all sorts of mystical experiences. And you need to add to him all sorts of rules, right? And if you add all those things, then you have a genuine life with God. Now, the Colossians were a small church. In an obscure part of the world, you know, geographically speaking. And they were not planted by an apostle. And so you can imagine the tremendous pressure they faced. With having all these superstar preachers perhaps bringing these false messages. The pressure for them to doubt Christ would have been immense. And so Paul wrote this letter, didn't he? To assure them. His message is very simple. Don't worry, you are true followers of Christ. And we want you to keep growing in your new life in Christ. And over the last three messages, we've looked at verse 3 to verse 
5. And we've seen that in those verses, Paul is telling the Colossians why he believes they are true followers of Christ. Just to remind you of those verses, what does he say? He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is convinced the Colossians are true Christians because they have the spiritual fruit to show for it. They have faith. They have love. And their hope is laid up for them in heaven in Christ. We would say that's the first reason, combining that, that's the first reason uh, why Paul believes they are legit. He believes, even though he's never met them, he believes they are true believers because they have the spiritual fruit to show for it. Well, the second reason Paul believes that is because of what the Colossians heard. Why does he believe they are true Christians? Because they heard the gospel. And that's what verse 5, the middle of verse 5 to verse 8 is getting at. Of this hope, of this, which is the hope, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is saying, look, we are confident that you are true Christians because, not only because of the fruits of faith, love, and hope that you have, but because you have heard the gospel. And in, in, in that sense, he's saying, look, the fruits of faith and love are growing in the soil of the gospel. That's why we believe that you are true Christians. And so the key truth that Paul is teaching us here is simply this. All true followers of Jesus can be confident that we have life with God because our faith in Christ is built on the gospel. All true followers just can be confident that we have life with God because our faith in Christ is built on the gospel. And so here are three reasons I just want to show you from this passage that Paul gives us uh, in verse 5 to 8, why we can be confident that the gospel is a true foundation for life with God. Three reasons. The first reason is this. The gospel is the word of truth. The gospel is the word of truth. You see, all human beings are searching for the truth about life. And we have many questions. We want to know, where can I find true love and satisfaction? What is my ultimate purpose in life? Who am I? Why do I exist? Where is my life going? And why is the world always at war with me? What is the source of the brokenness in life that I see? Why does life feel just like an endless struggle between good and evil? And then there's a big one, isn't there? The big question, which is this. Why do I have to die? Why do I have to die? And some people, of course, ask, why did I have to be born? But on the issue of death, they say, is there a way for me to beat the inevitable death 
that is coming. And is there a life after death that makes sense of all of this? All of us have these questions, don't we? And many more such questions. And the list of places that people are searching for for answers concerning these questions are endless. Science, religion, hobbies, family, politics, many, countless. Now some people say, actually, when they think of these questions, they say to us, actually, there's no point asking these questions because actually there are no true answers to this question. I'm thinking here, for example, <laughs> this, is, this is the view of our current uh, post-tribal experts, uh, such as Oprah Winfrey, and I interviewed isn't it, to Megan and Ari. What, she, what did she say? Tell us your truth. Tell us your truth. Our point is that we have our own truth, you see. So there's no point asking these big questions. That they're, they're not definite answers. Each one has their own truth. Now, that, of course, is folly, isn't it? It's, it's foolishness. Because what is truth? Well, truth is a statement that matches reality. To say you have your own truth is to say we create our own reality. I think there's a name for that, isn't there? The name for that is madness. People who are mad have created their own reality. Beloved, there is truth because everything in life is real. Life is not a video game or some simulation. It is lived reality. And here's the point. Because truth is a statement that matches reality, the only person who knows what is true is God who created reality. It is God who created everything. And, the God, and God has revealed to us the truth concerning the true meaning of life and how we can have life with him through the Bible. The Bible is the truth of God. And the Bible summarizes this truth in one word, gospel. That is what is at the heart of the truth of the Bible. It is the gospel. Look at this five there, how Pope would say. Just in the middle of that, he says, Of this, that is the hope, you have heard before in the what? In the word of the truth, the gospel. The original word for gospel, of course, is evangelion, a common word meaning good news. The word gospel refers to good news that calls for celebration. An historical event that introduces a radically new situation to the world. And in the Bible, the historical event is that God has entered the pages. If you like, God, the author of all things, has entered the pages of human history in Christ. He has come to be our Savior King. Now, the Colossians, of course, like us here, already knew this. But like us, they needed to be reminded that the historical serving events in Christ are the truth. 
The death and resurrection, the incarnation, the, the sinless life, the death and resurrection of Christ, his ascension into heaven, his, his sitting there interceding for us, all of these events, these serving events, including his second coming, are the truth. And Paul is saying to them and ask, don't doubt the word of truth. Don't doubt the, the gospel that you have heard. The gospel is not one truth among many truths. No, the gospel is reliable. It is authentic. It is the only game in town. There is no other truth that brings meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life that answers those fundamental questions than the gospel. There is no other truth that tells us how we can have life with God now and beyond the grave apart from the gospel. It is not a truth. It is the truth. And when it is proclaimed, it is the word of the truth. I just want to encourage you that if you're a true follower of Christ this evening, this truth that the gospel is the word of truth is the only comfort you need in this life. You may not know what is true or false about the latest public health emergency. Uh, you may not be scientifically literate or a very a genius, right? You may not be up to speed with the latest technology. In the end, none of that matters. What really matters in life is that you have the gospel. The gospel is the word of truth. That makes sense of all truth. All of the truths find their meaning in the gospel. Because it is the truth concerning how we can have life with God through Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are this word of truth. So do not lose your confidence in the gospel. Do not treat it as a small thing. Do not even exchange it for, for anything else. Trust the gospel, poison. It is the truth. We can be confident that the gospel is true, is the true foundation for life with God, because it is the truth. That's the first reason Paul gives us here. The second reason Paul gives us is this, and it's wonderful. The, the gospel is the word of grace. The gospel is the word of grace. The first reason is what? The gospel is the word of truth. The second reason we can be confident the gospel is a foundation, is a solid foundation for life, is because it is the word of grace. The gospel is a solid foundation for our life because the content of the gospel message is that life with God does not depend on us. It depends only on the grace of God in the person and work of Christ. That's what Paul is getting at. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 again. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood what? The grace of God in truth. That's the gospel summarized. The grace of God in truth is what they heard. We have met this word grace, haven't we? We met it in verse 2. 
What is grace? Well, we said it is not simply God's unconditional acceptance of people who fail to tick all his boxes. It is, it is that, but it's not just that. It is much more. Because the original word for grace is charis, which, means, which simply means a gift. But in the Bible, it means God's loving and relentless pursuit to serve his enemies. Grace means that though you are sinful, rebellious, and unlovable, God loves you deeply and has pursued you before the foundation of the world. But he has pursued you before the foundation of the world in Christ to make you his. And in this passage, Paul is saying that the good news of Jesus is the truth of God reaching out to us with grace in the person and work of Christ. It is the grace of God in truth. Now, interesting enough, Paul doesn't use this word grace quite often in Colossians. What he does is, you see, he paints in the rest of the letter, he paints in vivid detail the grace of God in Christ without using the word grace. But it's, it's all over Colossians. I just want to give you two examples. For example, he explains what grace is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. We'll come to that passage in two weeks' time, but let's just look at it briefly. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Just verse 13 down there. What does Paul say? He says, God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's grace. Paul is saying, before we trusted in Christ, we lived in the dominion of darkness. It was a dominion of sin, a darkness without the light of God. We were under the dominion of the darkness of Satan, who is the prince of darkness. We were under the damnation of hell, which is utter and eternal darkness. And we were under the terrible darkness of the wrath and judgment of our holy God. We were in a state of damnation. God was angry with us. And like a man sitting on a time bomb waiting to explode with no rescuer in sight, we could not deliver ourselves from the guilt and penalty of sin. We were completely lost, beloved. But God, by his grace, came in Christ to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, even our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to rescue us for Christ. Paul is saying that in Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14. And God did this by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that brought forgiveness of sin and purchased our freedom from a life of darkness. And then when we track back a few verses before that, what Paul then is saying when he talks about the gospel they had, the word of grace, what he's saying, the means God used to make us trust in Christ so that we could be rescued from this domain of darkness 
is the proclamation of the gospel. The word of grace, the gospel. He made us hear it. And he made us understand it. And he made us believe it. That's what verse 5 to 6 is saying. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit, as it also does among you, since the day you did what? You heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul is saying, without the preaching of this word of grace, the gospel, and God enabling us to believe it, we'll still be slaves in darkness. We'll still be wallowing in darkness. But God made us hear it. He made us understand it. And he made us believe this word of grace. And all true followers of Jesus now can sing with Charles Wesley, can't we? Death, hell, and sin are now subdued. For grace is now to sinners given. And lo, I plead the atoning blood. And in thy right, I claim thy heaven. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, Paul said. That's picture number one. We shouldn't get tired of hearing the gospel. Let me just share picture number two, Paul Pence. We have another wonderful picture of the grace of God. Just a few verses there in verse 19 to verse 22. Colossians 1, verse 19 to verse 22. Let me read it for you. For in him that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying we were born enemies against God. That's how we came into this world. We came into this world like those children who were born under ISIS in Syria. They were born hating the West and our Judeo-Christian values. Those children, their allegiance was determined at birth. And so from birth they became ISIS soldiers. They were indoctrinated in the heart from birth. That's a picture of us, isn't it? Because in the same way, all of us, including our little ones, come into this world prepared to take up weapons for the devil against God, our creator. That's the human condition. And because we were, we, we, we were born at war with God, you see, his holiness and justice demanded that we should be punished for our treason and rebellion against God. And Paul is saying here, though, yet in all of this, the heart of God beats peace for us. God is our loving creator. He is not happy people he has fashioned in his image are at war against him. God is not cheering anyone on to hell. He wants us to be restored to him. 
And so what has God done then? Well, by his grace, Paul is saying in these verses, verse 19 to 22, God has reached out to us in Christ. God has come in Christ as our peace, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. Christ is God wearing the rags of human flesh to reconcile to himself in his body of death. Paul is saying. God in Christ reconciles us to God by dying on the cross for us. To pay the damage for the breach of peace that we have caused, that has occurred between us and God. The penalty for our sin, is for our rebellion, is death. That is what we owe God. But we are spiritual criminals, aren't we? We can't pay the penalty. And we don't want to. But God, in Christ, has graciously put his head, as it were, on the chopping block for us. He has taken the guillotine of the cross to remove our hostility before God. But the grace of God, you see, is not just peacemaking. It's not only peacemaking, says Paul in these verses. It is also fellowship. God has not just taken away our enmity. He, in Christ, it, we become one with him. We, 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 come, we, we experience kononia, fellowship with him in Christ. We, be, we are brought to live in his presence, he says. Don't miss verse 22 there. Verse 22 is saying, Christ has reconciled us by his death to present us holy and blameless where? Before him. He has come, as it were, to make, to, 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 to give us peace with him so that we can be with him. To live in his presence forever. It's like this. We have offended God, our next door neighbor. Right? But God is reaching out to us. Uh, He's not just offering uh, to stop reporting us to the police, as it were, for having parties all night. He's saying we can move in and live with him. And he's not just saying, come over and live with me. God has knocked down, he's knocked down the wall of hostility, the wall of separation between his house and our house. And he's saying we are now one now, one family in Christ. Live with me, he says in Christ. That's what God has accomplished for us. Peace plus fellowship. And what he's saying in verse 5 to 8, this is the gospel. That you have heard proclaimed. It is a message of sensational grace in Christ. You can be confident that the gospel is a true foundation for life with God. Because it is all about the grace of God. It does not depend on you. It is a free work of God in Christ. It is not something we have earned. It is all about God giving himself freely to wretched sinners such as us. 
to rescue us from darkness, to forgive our sins, to reconcile us rebellious sinners back to himself. And all of this through what? The wondrous cross. Through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus shed on that cross. What does this mean for us? Well, it means everything, doesn't it? It means everything. It means we are home with God in Christ by His grace. It means the grace of God has reached out to us through the gospel. And you know, there are so many applications we can make. And there are so many applications I want to share about this grace. But as I think about this truth, I feel inadequate to convey them to you. We have the word of grace, the gospel. How do we even begin to apply that? It is why we are here this evening. It's what got me up in the morning. It's what brought me back this evening. The word of grace. And I think the only thing I can say at this moment is to pause, isn't it? By ourselves, just to praise God for this word of grace. Because our God is so loving and merciful to us. He has not only come to be with us in Christ. That's an amazing thing God has done. To come to be with us in Christ. But he has not only done that. He has made sure that you and I hear the message of his grace. He has not only preserved the historical records of his work in Christ in the Bible. He has appointed servants to proclaim this gospel to you week in, week out. To remind you of it. And he makes sure that you understand this word of grace by his Holy Spirit. He causes you to believe it. Hey, to love it. To rejoice in it. And that is all God. That is all God. So let us worship first. Let us just thank him for it. Tell him now just how grateful you are to be in Christ. Tell him to help you grow in reminding yourself of the gospel. So, we have the reason to be confident, don't we? That the gospel is the foundation for true life with God because what? It is not only the word of truth, it is also the word of grace. And here's a third and final reason, uh, quickly. The third reason we have reason to be confident is this in the gospel, is that the gospel is the word of life. The gospel is the word of life. It is the word of truth, it is the word of grace, and it is the word of life. I so want you to understand here that Paul's burden is to assure these new believers and us that the gospel is not some abstract truth about life that should bore us. No, beloved. It is life. It is the living word of God. To put it another way, 
The gospel is transcendent truth and immanent truth. It is heavenly and it is earthy. It is of God and yet is experientially alive in us. And in verse 6 to 8, Paul is emphasizing the aliveness of the gospel. I had to just check that. I'm not making up a word. Apparently it's true. The aliveness, right? Of the gospel, the gospel is alive. The gospel is a living tree. Well, the English teacher will correct me when I just came up with that. Oh, it's an Americanism. The gospel is a living tree, isn't it? That bears fruit regardless of where it is planted. Let's just read verse 3 to verse 8 again, just refresh ourselves. What Paul is saying that to catch his train of thought. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. All this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I think what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying all the change that has happened at Colossae, the fact that they are now in Christ, the fact that they have evidence to show for it, the fact that they are faithful ministers like Epaphras who are leading them on in Christ, all of this has come as a result of the preaching of the gospel among them. The word of grace that they heard and believed as life-giving power, it changes lives. And as lives are changed, then the gospel then continues to spread. The word of grace that they have heard and believed as this life-giving power. Even in hostile places, the gospel cannot be stopped. And we know this truth, don't we? Because we are here this evening, a staggering 2,000 years later of gospel witness. 2,000 years later, the gospel still reached you, brought you to faith in Christ. And the gospel will keep bearing fruit because the plan of God is, is for God to gather all his children, you see. It will keep bearing fruit until all that he has chosen in Christ come to true faith. It is the mustard seed that keeps growing. Why does the gospel have such life giving power to change lives? Well, the answer is in verse 8, isn't it? Verse 7 says, speaking of Epaphras, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Simply put, the gospel is the word of the Spirit of God. Point verse 8 is saying the Holy Spirit is the one who has stimulated the fruit of love for other believers. And it is also, this is also true for their faith and hope and all other fruit. In other words, the gospel is proven to be true in our lives by the fact that God the Holy Spirit is at work in and through the gospel to change lives. 
Beloved, we can be confident that the word of the grace, the word of the gospel, the word of grace is also the word of life. The gospel changes lives. And how should we then respond to that truth? How should we respond to this truth that the gospel is the word of life? I just want to leave you two quick things, then I'll end there. First of all, let us repent. Let us repent. Let us repent of doubting the life-giving power of the gospel. I think it is true to say many of us have sadly, quietly given up trusting the power of the gospel to change lives. Because perhaps we have prayed for someone that hasn't come to true faith and we're now doubting whether God is interested in serving them. We perhaps shared the gospel with someone at work and they just not seem to be interested and nothing has happened. And in our hearts, we are still hoping, but we, there's that sense in our hearts, isn't it, that we are, we, we, we are quietly abandoned trust in the gospel. We are perhaps thinking to ourselves, well, it's not, it's not, it doesn't quite work, so perhaps it's best left to others more gifted to do it. It seems to fail every time I try to share it. Well, beloved, repent of such attitude. And I think this is attitude that we have them. Why? Because many of us are not sharing the gospel. Why are we not sharing the gospel? Because we don't believe in its power. That's a simple reason. If you are dead sure God is at work through the gospel, you share it with your neighbor. You share it with your neighbor. But many of us have lack confidence in the gospel. That's why we don't share it. And so let us repent of that. Because the Bible is reminding us the gospel is a word of life. Now this does not mean we should expect to see, well, first of all, it does mean we should expect to see results. But it doesn't mean that we should expect to see immediate results or we should expect that every single person we share the gospel with will come to faith. No. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what we read in Jonah, isn't it? Jonah chapter 2. It is the Lord who serves. It is the Lord who serves. And I think that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to believe that it's the Lord who serves. And sometimes we get very disappointed about that. And sometimes we go the other way direction, isn't it? It's the Lord who serves, why bother? Well, that's a different sermon, but the point is, the Lord is the one who serves and we need to trust him. And as we trust him, let us also remember that even though we may not see the immediate results, it does not mean God is not at work. That's the parable of the secret growing seed in Mark, isn't it? God works in ways we cannot see. God is often at work even if we don't see the results. So let us trust him. And, and let us repent of our disbelief. our disbelief that the gospel is the word of life. And let us show we have truly repented, isn't it? By giving ourselves to share the gospel with people around us. That's the proof of your repentance. Start sharing the gospel. That's the first thing, repentance. Secondly, let us remind, remind yourself and others around you of the gospel regularly. You know, as we go through Colossians, we see that Paul keeps reminding them of the gospel. You see that. I've given you two examples, but there's more. 
It's all the gospel. I love Colossians. It's just the gospel. Why is Paul reminding them of the truth they have already heard? Well, because believers grow in the soil of the gospel. If the gospel bores you, the chances are you're not a believer. I know that's a difficult statement, but the chances are that if the gospel doesn't excite us, the chances are that we haven't really heard it and understood the grace of God. Now, of course, we grow in understanding, but the Christian has a level of excitement in the gospel. And so let us now share that gospel with others around us. Because that's what Paul is doing, isn't it? Throughout Colossians, we see him sharing the gospel with others because this is how Christians grow. They grow by hearing and being reminded of the gospel. And so I think for us, it means two things. First, commit yourself to hearing the gospel preached to you regularly and indeed encourage the preaching of the gospel. If the preachers wander off to all sorts of interesting issues, call us back, call us back, call us back to be preaching the gospel. Don't assume it. Pray for it and call it back actively in the life of the church. Make a priority to hear the gospel preached to you and it to be as it were, made a priority. The second thing I think is that you should use opportunities that we are gathering together to remind other believers of the gospel. Do what Paul is doing. Paul is reminding them of the gospel. And you and I have a responsibility when we meet with other believers to remind them of the gospel. Because that is the way we help each other grow. Now, this area, I can speak for a long time about it, right? But because I recognize it's a difficult thing. It's a struggle. Um, we, are, we don't see each other. We see each other this week on Sunday. And the next time we're going to see each other is next Sunday, right? We might see each other a bit in the midweek for some of us. But the chances are that we're going to see each other, God willing, on Sunday. And the chances are that we're going to speak to one person. And who, this week we've spoken to, we're going to speak to a different person next week. Because we have fellowship and by God's grace, there are people here. What I'm getting at is that there's so much to talk about on Sunday. Oh, there is personal issues to catch up on. There's Boris, COVID, all sorts of things, right? The list is long. And so when we meet, we talk about those things because we haven't caught up with one another for a, for a week or perhaps two or three weeks. Right? I just want to leave you with this. Remember that those things, beloved, are not the word of life. Yes, you're encouraging people about those areas or you're having good fun with it. But you're not speaking. I've got to sound careful here. You're not really speaking life into them. Because unless the word of God is spoken, the word of life is preached to them, unless they are reminded of the gospel, you're encouraging them in some way, but you are... <laughs> this is what encourages them, you see. This is what encourages you to grow. And this is why the believers in the church need to be hearing on your lips. So as you discuss the weather, you discuss the football, you discuss all these interesting things, you catch up on family issues and you ask for prayer requests, do what we always do in evangelism, isn't it? Brother Rob, when we go out, get the gospel in. Get the gospel in, we say. It's great to chat to people, but we're going to get the gospel in. We haven't really done evangelism if we don't get the gospel in. Well, can I say that principle is the same? You haven't really encouraged, in my view, a brother or sister, unless 
you just get the gospel in the bed. Remind them of Jesus. Remind them of why he's died. I'm not saying the other things don't matter. I hope you understood what I'm getting at. We've got to strive. We've got to ask God to help us to get the gospel. So let me just summarize. The message Paul wants us to take away from verse 5 to 8 is this. If you are a follower of Christ, be confident of your life in Christ. You have every reason to be confident that you have true life in Christ because your life is built on the gospel which you have heard and believe. And we can trust the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because it's the word of truth. It is the word of grace and it is the word of life. Amen.